Thanks, worship team. Hey, guys, if you really want to be blessed and you just want to have a good evening, you ought to come back tonight for the Christmas night of worship this year. It's just going to be awesome. I've gotten to sit in on a couple of rehearsals here and there and just listen to some of the music they're going to be doing for us, and it's going to be just that good. So you need to come, bring some neighbors, bring some friends with you. Hey, let me ask you to do a favor for, uh, for all of us as well, and that is to, to join us in prayer for one of our newest members here at Calvary. His name's Jeff Grubb. Jeff is a member of the Impact class, and we love you guys, and thank you for being here, and uh, we have fallen in love with you all. Jeff has um, several palsy, and he uh, had a heart attack this week through, you know, it's, it's a long story, but it related to another surgery. Bad news, good news is through that heart attack, they were able to find out, unbeknownst to anybody, that Jeff had five blockages. So this week, they're going to try to repair those and, and take care of him, get him back with us. So remember to pray for him uh, and for all these guys that love him so much. You know, um, when I was a kid, we read Peanuts comics all the time. I think they're the most endearing, long-running comic strip that's ever, you know, happened out there. Lucy was um, saying once that Christmas is a time for kindness, and it's a time to forgive one another. And Charlie Brown said, why do that just at Christmas? Why can't we have the Christmas spirit the rest of the year? And Lucy looked at Charlie and said, what are you, some kind of a religious fanatic? And I think that's kind of the attitude. You know, there's something that happens at Christmas in the world that doesn't happen any other time. There's an atmosphere there is a, uh, an openness or a response among people. I think it's to each other. People are a little nicer. Do you ever notice that? Kind of little, there's something kind of cool that happens at Christmas. And also, people are more open to spiritual things. I find that uh, spiritual conversations happen more quickly and more easily. And people are more thoughtful and, and think, yeah, let me give that, you know, another, another thought in my head because... I don't know what it is about this time. So I hope you're able to uh, take advantage of that and to maybe talk with others this week about Jesus, not just in this room and not just with one another, uh, but to people who are curious about this holiday and why we make such a big deal out of that and why we celebrate it. Last week, we began a study in Luke's gospel because we think he tells the story as well or better than, than anybody else. Uh, about the events and the circumstances concerning the life of Jesus. And we saw that Luke is the gospel writer who focuses the most on preparation. And that was kind of the theme um, of, of the message last week because Luke shows us this is the way that was prepared for Jesus, for the advent, for the coming of Christ, for Messiah. And this is how we have to be prepared for that and how we need to be, begin to think through what is, what is my role and Am I ready for Christmas? Why am I disappointed with that sometimes? And where am I uh, in, this, in this season? Well, in the story, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah in the temple. Zach freaked out immediately, and the angel promised him, your wife is going to bear a child, uh, and it's going to pave the way for the coming of Messiah. Zechariah absolutely definitely didn't see that coming. But he had a hard time believing it because um, he and his wife were well past childbearing years. They didn't see that as part of their, you know, experience anymore. So he asked for a sign, and the angel said, good, I'll give you a sign. And he got more than he bargained for. Zechariah was unable to speak until the promise was fulfilled. And that's kind of where we were left off in the story. And at this point in, in Luke's telling, in the, in the gospel, Zechariah exits the stage. He'll be back, but we've got a scene change. And one of the things I love about the way Luke unfolds this story for us is that it's a lot like a modern-day uh, novel that you would read or it's a modern-day movie, you know, and you see that they're... You know how uh, movies gain momentum and they kind of, you know, the, the scene shifts and, and here's something that's happening and then it goes to another character... Uh, I kind of watch those shows that leave you hanging. 
You know, like uh, the, the ones that have just, I don't know, everything's off the air, not like 24. Some of you guys watch that. Or, and then you think, ah, or Lost. The first time that Kathy and I started watching that, we were trying to catch up to our kids so we could watch that together. And we would sit down, and we got it on DVD, and just watch. And, you know, you watch one episode, and it just kind of leaves you right there. And you think, you want to watch another one? Yeah, it's only 2 a.m. Let's watch another one. Yeah, let's... We can't leave it like that. So you kind of watch one more, you know. I decided to go back on Netflix and watch Heroes. I had never seen that. And there's like four or five years. I don't know where that is because I don't watch a lot of television. But, you know, it's that same kind of idea. Luke does that for us to some degree. He kind of picks up the story and he goes, okay, here's what Zach's doing. Now, let me take you over here in another place and kind of continue the story. And eventually you'll see the characters the people in this real-life event that took place began to be you know, woven together. So today, this is where the story picks up momentum. And we're kind of thrust forward. Luke leads us from this great and holy temple in Jerusalem, this real majestic uh, atmosphere and the things that are happening. We go from there to this obscure village. It's in this remote region it's not known for its piety. There's, there's not a lot of spiritual, um, you know, anything going on in that climate. So he leads us from that. He takes us from this well-known priest. Uh, this guy, this is really dramatic event. And, and moves us uh, from there uh, to this unknown peasant girl. He takes us from an old man to a young woman. He, he leads us from Zechariah to Mary. And I think more than anybody else in the Christmas story, it's Mary that demonstrates to us really what Christmas is all about, what the spirit of Christmas really is. The true spirit of Christmas is something you hear people talk about a lot, whether it's in cartoons or books or movies or what, you know, everybody's like, well, the spirit of Christmas, you know, and we we kind of get hooked into that language and, and that idea. Uh, I, I don't think the spirit of Christmas, whatever that, that means for you, I don't think it's family bonding. Uh, I don't think it's even the spirit of giving or being nice to each other or, you know, the spirit of rejoicing and that celebration. Yeah, I get that that's part of it, and that's kind of some of the, the manifestations or, you know, something that we do that expresses that. And I'm good with that. All of that's fine. Uh, but Mary teaches us something different. And this is it, guys. This is what I think, is that the true spirit of Christmas is a spirit of humility. It's humility. Mary's story is told starting in verse 26. So let's pick it up there and begin to read to see what happens next. In the sixth year, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting uh, this might be. There's something, there's some like some real striking similarities, I think, but between what happened with Zechariah and now what we, we're going to see today happens with Mary. Both of them are visited by the same angel, the angel Gabriel. Both uh, are given or made what seems like this absolutely impossible promise. Both the promises involve a child. One of them is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in the womb, and the other is actually going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, both are given a sign. Here's how you know that this is legit and this isn't just some crazy dream or something that's happening to you. But the similarities kind of fizzle out right there. Uh, Mary is this young teenager. She's probably 14, 16, 17 years old. She's, she's right in that zone. Um, Zachariah is an older guy. She's a peasant. She just comes from like a lower middle income type home. Um, Zechariah is a priest uh, in his village. Uh, she's from the middle of nowhere. He's from kind of a busier, you know, kind of uh, 
metropolitan thing. She's from Galilee. And the thing that really sets her apart is that she is betrothed to this young carpenter. The guy's already got a good job. You know, they're ready to get married. He's a young carpenter. His name's Joseph. Now, betrothal meant a lot more then than engagement does today. It's sort of the best parallel that we have to talk about, oh, you get, you know, and now we go through, it depends on when you meet, right? Some of you guys met like in middle school, and so you liked each other, we're in like, and then you, you did all those things, and there's different words that describe for different generations what it means. When I was in middle school, you went steady. So you don't even know what that I'm talking about. You know, are you going steady? Yeah, I'm going steady with her. What is that? You know, and you don't know. Now, now what do you do? Tell me, somebody, tell, what, what is it like when you're in a relationship with another person and you kind of, you're exclusively kind of separated from each other? What do you call that? Dating? <laughs> We're dating? But what if you dated somebody else? Then you're dating them too, right? But it, does it describe it? Does it? Is that still... Still, you're dating that one person when your status changes, when you click that button. What's your status? That just sounds so unromantic to me. Hi, I'm Dan. What's your status? I'm married. Okay. I'm single. Okay. I don't know. It's just a whole different thing. I think there needs to be more definition. Well, in that day, there was absolutely definition, and it was betrothed. When you were betrothed. That sounds like a, this is like a big thing, you know, and this would be sort of what's engagement to us, except this. It had all of the responsibilities of engagement or marriage, actually, but none of the privileges. You see, legally and in relationship, it's just like you guys were married. You're married. But you don't get to sleep together, and you don't live together, and you're not really seen as a couple yet until the wedding ceremony. In fact, it was such a big deal that to break a betrothal, you had to go through divorce proceedings. If you were not faithful during the betrothal period, it was seen as adultery, just like if you had been married. And the penalty for adultery was to be stoned to death. For the woman. I don't know why. Don't, don't go there like why it was a double standard. But we see that even as a controversy in the last couple of weeks. There's still religions. There's still places in the world where that the penalty of death for adultery is still uh, activated. It's, it's, it's still an issue that's out there. Well, Mary knew that. Mary knew that. So you can just imagine, you know, if this wasn't strange enough, uh, you know, Mary's maybe... She's doing her chores one morning, and she's daydreaming about Joseph. You know, she's got a ballpoint pen, and she's, she's writing his name on her robe, and just to see, and she's putting her, his name with her name, and just seeing how that sounds. And, you know, and she's just talking about that. Maybe her friends come by and go, Mary, woo, you know, and there. She's just living in that place in her life, and she's thinking, I wonder what kind of husband he'll be, if he'll help out with the donkeys, or, or you know, if he'll be, you know, just, if he's not that kind of guy, and, and where will we live? We're going to live in his father's house, or are we going to live uh, on his father's land? Or what about kids? Uh, we want to. I'd like to have some kids. How many? And when? You know. And she's she's just doing all those those typical kind of a things, getting maybe ready for a, you know, wedding showers and the parties and all of that. And all of a sudden, this angel comes. Not a typical uh, thing for the day. Uh, and if that's not strange enough, that Gabriel appears front and center. Uh, in her, uh, he makes this even crazier greeting. He calls her favored one. Hello, favored one. You think, why would a stranger, especially an angel, call me that? And then he says, the Lord is with you. Now, something very specific. She's so confused. The, the whole thing just kind of baffles her. What, what are you? I don't understand. I'm married. I'm just, you may have come to the wrong house because you may have noticed that I'm just, I'm, I am me. Gabriel, Gabriel senses her confusion, so he explains. <laughs> and the explanation, it's kind of like, I'm, could you tell me what's going on? Yeah, this, yeah, when you hear everything, okay, first, you're going to conceive and give birth to a child. Whoa! <laughs> and then, you know, and that child is going to be the long-awaited Messiah. That's why I called you favored one. I mean, like every Jewish kid, she's 
grown up hearing about this her whole life. I mean, she knows all about the coming of the son of David. And, you know, it may have even crossed her mind. I mean, may have even, like in her wildest thoughts, she goes, you know what? Joseph, he's from the house of David, and I'm from the house of David on this. Ah, uh, oh, that's crazy. That, I mean, you know, just those kind of things. But wait a minute. I'm going to conceive? Um, that's not how Mama told me that works. How can I have a child? I've never even been with a man. It wasn't an expression of doubt like Zechariah had. What? We're going to have a baby? He knew how to have babies. He, he, that part. Uh, but he thought, whoa, check it out. You know how old I am? And we tried for so long. I mean, his was a different kind of expression. You know, like, I just, sorry, Gabe. I appreciate the announcement so much, but I don't think that's going to happen. He goes, okay, well, let's find out about that. Mary's is a little different. She's like, you know what? I'm just 15, and I've never been with a guy. I'm a virgin. And I... I'm so confused right now. I really don't understand what's going on, and I'm, you're scaring me. You know, maybe on one hand she gets, okay, there's something about the Holy Spirit that's going to happen, and I'm going to become pregnant. And just this swirl of emotions. I mean, I just got to thinking about that this week, and I thought on one hand she's got to be just stunned by the honor. You know, of all the women in the world, of all the times and places and we pick you. God the Father has handpicked you to be the mother of Jesus. I mean, she just, oh, that would be so overwhelming. But on the other hand, that's just got to scare the life out of you. You know, you start dreading it. But I was going to marry Joseph, and he was going to open up a little carpenter shop, and sure, it wouldn't be much at first, but he's, he's really good with wood, and, you know, and we're going we're gonna to build it up, and you know, we want to have kids. and I mean, she just had all these dreams that in, in just one announcement, in this one morning, it's like, so none of that's going to happen? No, I'm sorry. Your life is about to radically spin off in a completely different direction that you would have never been able to see. And then maybe she's trying to process this, and she thinks, oh, they stoned to death women who've committed adultery, and that's what it's going to look like I've done. Uh, oh, wait, oh, thank God the Romans have outlawed that, so maybe I would get by without being killed. And then the thought comes to her, Joseph, oh. Oh, what's Joseph going to think? How's Joseph going to react? How do you, how do I, Gabe, could you, I can't tell him this story. It's just going to sound too bizarre. Would you go tell him? <laughs> would you visit him too? And just kind of, I'm sure if it came from an angel, it's going to carry a little more weight, and he'll, he'll believe this. Um, so if you go, let me give you his address. Otherwise, I'm going to lose Joseph. And she's head over heels, just madly in love. She's, a, you know, she's right at that point where they're ready to get married. And, and she's like, I don't want to lose. He's the best thing that ever happened to me. And I'm going to be humiliated. It's going to be so disgraceful. Every woman in the village is going to look at me now. Oh, you're the one who broke Joseph's heart. He's such a great guy. And he's been saving up from his carpenter business to marry you, and everything's worked out, and this was going so beautifully. And then what happened, Mary? She doesn't want to live through that. Maybe he just needs to pay Joseph a visit because all my dreams are dying. She understands life is about to change. So there's a part of Mary that wants to fall down in just grateful praise and worship that she's just overwhelmed, overcome by this event. And another part of her that thinks, this is so not fair. This is so intrusive into my life. But somehow, as, as that's going on inside of her, and in this battlefield of her own heart, this is what I love about Mary. I love this about her. She chooses to surrender. Here's what she says. Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. Here I am. Basically, Mary's just saying, if this is from the Lord, yes. What do you want me to do? Whatever, I'm just saying yes to God. 
And she's not sure how this is going to work out. And, you know, sometimes God comes to us and, and he says, you know, I need you to step in obedience. I need, to, I need for you to just come in faithfulness after me. Oh, but Lord, if I do that, I don't know what that's going to mean and how that's going to work out. I've been in countries where, you know, I, I was in a country once where a guy who was hosting me made it public in the factory where he worked that he was becoming a Christian. And his foreman came to him and said, what does that mean you're becoming a Christian? He said, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm going to be baptized. And he said, he put his finger in my face and he said, if you are baptized, you will lose this job. So the guy was baptized. This all happened like a month before I got there. Uh, and then, uh, then I came and I noticed that he had a job now. He had a job where they take chain link fence and they attach them, you know, the... Uh, the whatever that's called, the chain link part, you know what I'm talking about, the fencing part, to the, to the poles. He was the guy who just attached it to that. Very entry-level position, uh, whereas he had been a supervisor uh, in, a, in another company. And I asked my translator, I said, what's going on? He said, well, he made the decision that he wanted to follow Jesus. He's an elder in this church now. He's been baptized, and uh, he lost his job. And his family's just barely getting by. And he said, not only that, but he's faced harassment. He said he knew that was going to happen. You know, every family in this little community had a pig. And uh, they came through and they said, we need to take your pig because we think it's a disease. And he goes, there's nothing wrong with my pig. It's, it's my source of income. It's, and he said, no, we're, we're pretty sure it's disease. So they took that. They would just do things like that. Because he said yes to Jesus. And some of us face circumstances and we're going to be just a little uncomfortable. And sometimes there are things that God brings in our life, and you think, well, Lord, that means I'm going to have to do this instead of that or whatever. It's really an inconvenience, but it's not like it was for Mary. You know, where nothing's going to be the same ever, ever again. And you know what? Here's the thing. Even if it was, even if God said, from, now you're going to live in another place, and they don't even speak your language, and nobody is looking like you or thinking like you, but that's my calling on your life. There will be blessing. God will do amazing things and you will be a favored one. You will be, a fa you will be blessed of the Lord. And at the end of the day, if you could have, you know, run through your life in, with both scenarios, this is how it would have been if you had just gone on and done your thing. This is how it would be when you say yes to the Lord. And you looked at those you would never have chosen the life you picked out. It'll always be a life of blessing. Mary said yes. And that's just so, such humility. And, and I think that's the spirit of Christmas. When she says yes to God's intrusion, she, because she saw herself as a bond slave. And that's a person who lived in a household who was literally owned by the other person, had zero rights, and you just did whatever they wanted you to do. Humility is one of those Christian buzzwords that we, we love to talk about, we love to sing about it, but when it comes right down to it, everything within us fights against it. Humility, we protest it because it expresses itself in surrender, in just total surrender. Think of how different your life would be if you saw yourself really as a bondservant, as just a slave to Jesus. I don't have an agenda. I don't have something I got to do tomorrow. I don't have this plan for the next five years. I'm just, everything is abandoned. The slate's clean. I'm just yours. What do you want me to do next? Because I don't have anything else to do. It's all about you. What would your life look like if you really had that attitude? You know, one thing we think about is, wow, that would mean I'm in bondage to him. You know, that I'm, I'm in, yeah, and in a sense, you are, but in another sense, I think you're totally set free. When you think about all the stuff you worry about now, and all, you don't have anything to worry about. <laughs> There's nothing, you don't have to think about that anymore. This, the, the issues you're wrestling with, uh, the, the things that you struggle with God about, or, what would you, how would you stop, what would you do differently because you don't have to secure your place anymore. You're not fighting for position and jockeying for that. You know, it's just like, God, I'm just so freed up now. 
it's a beautiful thing. You know, maybe you've been mistreated by someone. Most of us have been. A friend, a co-worker, a family member. There's probably a lot of folks in this room, you've been cheated, uh, and you're, you're angry about that, or you resent that. You didn't get a fair deal at work. Somebody else got the promotion. And What did you do? I mean, how did you handle that? Maybe you're still trying to process it, trying to work through that, trying to secure your position. And, you know, we demand our rights. I was in a place of the day, and I heard somebody use that cliche, use that phrase, hey, I know my rights. Hey, I've got rights. You know, and that's just kind of the way we're wired. Humility means that you start surrendering your rights. All your plans, your desires, your questions to the Lord. I just love the way Mary says, behold, look at me. I'm the bond servant of the Lord. Everything I had going on, it's not so important now. What can I do? I realize those are hard choices to make. But could it be that as with Mary, our greatest gifts come disguised as interruptions, as intrusions that demand our surrender? Philip Yancey said, Every work of God comes with two edges, great joy and great pain. I mean, I know. I mean, I know. I mean, I had my life pretty mapped out, and I thought, here's my career choice, and here's the way it's going to work. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have that. And about 19 or 20 years of age, God said, you know what? I've got another idea, and this is going to sound crazy. We're going to play this huge joke on humanity, okay? It's going to be this great cosmic prank. I'm going to call you into ministry. <laughs> Won't that be awesome? Oh, God, nobody's going to get that. I'll never forget going home to tell my family who already thought I was getting a little fanatical. My dad said, I think you're becoming a religious fanatic. He pulled the truck over one day and he said, I need to talk to you. And I said, yeah, what is it? He goes, do you know what a fanatic is? And I go, yeah. He says, a lady in our hometown and she just went crazy. She started reading the Bible so much it just drove her nuts. And she started walking up and down the streets of our town reading the Bible out loud. He said, if you get too much of it, it'll make you crazy. That's what he said. And I said, well, what do you, what's your point? He said, I think it's happening to you. He said, you go to that church all the time, and you talk about this, and it's all you think about, and you're always, you know, I said, oh, well, I'm just a lunatic for the Lord. And he goes, that's not funny. That's what I'm talking about. That's not funny. Fast forward about six months, and God says, you know what? I, I just want to embrace that passion, and you're such a goof, and you're such a redneck, and everything. I don't know how this is ever going to work out, how effective you'll ever be, but I'm calling you into ministry. I struggled with that for a little bit. I thought, but I don't want to be one of those guys. <laughs> I really did not. I really resisted that. And I went to a friend of mine who was a pastor, and I said, what does this mean? Tell me the, you know, <laughs> tell me the behind the scenes, the small print. He goes, well, the thing you're going to hate the most is you wear a tie a lot. I said, oh, man, I knew. That's a deal breaker. <laughs> That's, and I said, what about that? You know, and we just began to walk through it. But, you know, at the end of the day, I had already said yes in my heart. I said, God, that's not what I had in mind. I don't feel gifted or wired for that, but if that's what you want me to do, I'm all in. You know what? I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't trade the life that God has given me and go back and say, oh, man, if I had only stayed with the Lord, I mean, you know, and just and done my other deal. And, no, I'd never go back. Never, ever would I go back. Humility means that you start surrendering all those rights and plans and desires. And it's not always easy. I'm not suggesting you're not going to wrestle with it. and You're going to think, well, Dan, that's just real easy to say, okay, you know, boom, I'm in. You're going to have to give that some thought. There will be a battle. There will be a battle within. Self never gives up easy. It never surrenders right away. And when you think you've got it where you want it and you've pushed self down, it just rises up somewhere else. You know, and it just expresses itself. Jesus called us to take up our cross daily. And it's that daily part that's so hard. I mean, if I could just be spiritual on Sunday mornings when I'm in worship, you know, 1045, if you could go, oh, sorry, can we talk about that later? I'm going to get into my God mode now. You know, and just for an hour or so, you think, okay, it's going to be so spiritual. 
And I'm just going to think about Jesus. And then when the minute it's done, go, whew, oh, man. All right, now, where were we? Let's get back to my life, you know. But Jesus says, no, we've been doing that. It's not about that anymore. It's about your life. It's a daily commitment to take up my cross. Surrender. But Mary found out there is such blessing on the other side of surrender. And that's this second scene that things begin to shift to. The angel said that she would be given another sign. That her cousin, a little bit older cousin named Elizabeth, was also experiencing a miracle. That she's pregnant in her old age, which if I thought, are you kidding? Liz is pregnant? No! Yes, she is. So Mary must have thought, okay, if anybody will understand, she will understand. So she packs up her bags and she heads south for the country of Judea where Zechariah and Elizabeth live. Uh, it would have been about a four-day trek. You know, so she's got time to think. She's, she's moving along. She's, I mean, what's on her mind, right? This is all she's thinking about. She has a, a lot of that. And how am I going to say this when I see my cousin? And she may have started working on her speech, kind of like the prodigal son, you know, when he's going to see the father and he's thinking, here's what I'm going to say when I see her. And uh, she didn't need it. Look what happens in verse 39, which dropped down there. It says, In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry. It's wasn't like, Mary. No, she just starts, the neighbors are talking, what, was that Elizabeth? Yeah, what's she yelling about? Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I think this is one of those moments when Mary just felt this burden just lift off her back. Okay, I'm not nuts. This is okay. I, I'm not the only one. This was confirmation. I'm not crazy. I did hear the angel, and he did say this, and God is in control, and she can just relax. Because when you know, no matter how bizarre your life is and, and all the crazy things that happens when you start walking with the Lord, when you know that he's with you, it makes it okay. Trust me with that. You know, just look for those affirmations. And Mary had those, and she's, she's real humbled. And Elizabeth's real humbled that Mary would come see her. So I just can't believe, I don't deserve this, and... You know, it's just this beautiful thing that happens between the two of them. I think a bond maybe was already there because they're family and they're, you know, they're friends, but something uh, amazing happened in their spirits. Now, she recognizes, uh, and I think her humility, Elizabeth's humility, is just so wonderful. It's just seen in the fact that she recognizes Mary. I mean, you know, you've known your little cousin, and you've kind of grown up, and you're older than them, and they're kind of always in the way. You know, you eat at the kids' table, and I'm with the adults now, and you know, and it was that, and they, they got along fine. But now this humility where she says, you, Mary, you, not me, you are the most blessed of all women. Just that humility to say, it's you. She recognizes that the child in Mary's womb is greater than the child in her womb. I don't know how that works and how, like, if two moms see each other and they're both going to have babies, well, my baby's going to be, oh, yeah, well, my baby, and, you know, and just that. And, oh, and then once they're born and you go in and you see them, I went recently and saw some newborns. I think, oh, yeah, your baby's so much prettier than all those other ordinary babies. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, that, I mean, you know, you just kind of... But Mary just says, wow, you got a better baby. <laughs> Your baby's so much cooler than my baby. I mean, that is just a, an unusual thing. In fact, she calls Mary, you're the mother of my Lord. That baby's my Lord. She admits that when she saw her. And this prenatal John, he does somersaults. He's so excited. He's not even born yet. And he's like, oh, this is it. This is it. And he points to Jesus even from the womb. I wish I had that kind of testimony, don't you? 
Some of you folks say, well, I don't have much of a testimony. I was saved when I was seven years old, and I've been walking with the Lord. You've got a, you've got a wonderful testimony. I have a humiliating, I have an embarrassing testimony. John had the best testimony of anybody. When did you start walking with the Lord? Well, I guess I started leaping in the womb. That's sort of where it began for me. Yeah, I would say from the womb. You win. <laughs> wow, you're good. You know, that's it. So he has this testimony. And it's a little, and a lot of Old Testament, a lot of scholars believe that the story in the back of Luke's mind is one right out of Old Testament that we've been looking at on Wednesday nights. And this is story. Remember the twins, Jacob and Esau? When they're in their mother's womb and they struggle for preeminence, they're kind of clawing and clutching at each other. And, and when they're born and their mother prayed about it, the Lord said, the older shall serve the younger, which was real different culturally than what usually, always the older was, it was all about the older brother, older brother, older brother, younger brother got 25% of the estate, older brother got, I mean, it was just that way. He goes, not this time. This is kind of like that in this message where, the older, who is John, will serve the younger, who is Jesus. The difference in this story and that story is that nobody's struggling. John's not saying, well, that's not fair. I, I want to be the guy. You know, he's like, no, Jesus, you know what? It's all about you. And that fills me with joy to be able to say that. Humility is expressed by knowing and accepting your place in God's plan. You've got a place. I've got a place. We all have a place in the story. We're all characters in this story that continues to unfold and will until Jesus comes. You see, the mistake that some of us make is that we begin to think it's our story. Oh, here's my story, and oh, here's Jesus in my story, and here are my friends and my family. But basically, everything revolves around me because it's the, it's the, the bio of Dan Riley. It's the Dan Riley story. But you know what? The truth of the matter is, it's always been about God. It's God's story. And you're one of those characters. See, when, when I realized that, that just set me free. I said, God, I don't have to keep making my story come out good because I'm just one of the cast. He goes, yeah, it's all about Jesus. It never was about you. I said, oh, well, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? He goes, well, there is kind of a script. And um, you're an important character. But Jesus is the star. I don't know. That just set me free. There's something about that. It's a little bit about humility, but it's a little bit about, oh, Lord, that just really feels good. I used to really like uh, David Robinson, who was um, in the in, in NBA, especially in the 98-99 season. He was this frequent all-star. He was this veteran center uh, with the San Antonio Spurs. And he was to share the limelight at the end of that season with his new dominant player uh, in the league, his teammate, Tim Duncan. Uh, San Antonio had won the NBA playoffs in 99. Duncan was the star. Uh, Sports Illustrated, and it was all about that. And Robinson kind of reflected on that. He's a strong believer. I want you to just read what he said. I, I just kind of, this shows somebody's character. This is what it was like for him. He said, I can't overstate how important my faith has been to me as an athlete and as a person. It's helped me deal with so many things, including matters of ego and pride. For instance, I can't deny that it felt weird to see Tim standing on the podium with the finals MVP trophy. I was thinking, man, never have I come to the end of a tournament and not been the one up there holding the trophy. It was hard. He said, but I thought about the Bible story of David and Goliath. David helped King Saul win a battle, but the king wasn't happy because he had killed thousands of men while David had killed tens of thousands. So King Saul couldn't enjoy the victory because he just kept thinking about David's getting more credit than he was. And here's what David Robinson said. I'm blessed that God has given me the ability to just enjoy the victory. So... Tim has killed the tens of thousands. That's great. I'm for him. That's the spirit of Christmas. That's what it is. Knowing that you've accepted your role in God's plan. It must have been overwhelming from Mary. So much so that she just breaks out in song. 
I mean, this is just like a scene from an old Elvis movie or uh, The Sound of Music. <laughs> I just think I'll sing. Or Glee, you know, if you watch that television show and people, people just start singing, you know, and just like, ah, you know. Mary, you're in this conversation with Elizabeth and it's real important and it's real serious. And at this crucial moment, at this moment where the baby leaps in the womb and here's what happened to me and here's what happened to me. And Mary goes, <laughs> she just starts singing. Okay. I don't know if he's exactly like that, but uh, they do have this poetic style. And one of the interesting things, another thing I love about Mary, is that when she starts this, at least 15 quotations from the Old Testament are sung. Mary knew her Bible. I mean, she wasn't just saying, this is really cool, and this is, you know. No, the spirit of the song is one of praise and thanksgiving. And it's just scripture, scripture, scripture. Uh, and this is where everything turns around. Let me just read to you some of this song um, from what Mary sang. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. I mean, do you see the reverse? I mean, it's like, I am, of all women, you picked me, and I'm just so humbled by that. I'm your bond servant. And here she says, you know, I went from this humble estate. I'm from this nowhere little town that nobody's ever heard of, and I'm a nobody in that nowhere little town. Uh, she says, but somehow God has acted in such a wonder, an amazing way that future generations, people who aren't even born yet, are going to call me blessed. She sees that principle not only in her life, but she knows this is going to ripple out. This is going to happen in other people's lives. Pick up at the next verse. It says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Hey, guys, that's us. That's us. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, and he's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent empty away. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. That's us. Mary looked all the way down through history, and she saw us. You know, there's such liberation here. And sometimes I've heard this scripture read, and I've seen people take it and use it as a political manifesto or as... You know, attach that to, to liberation theology. And, you know, this is what God's going to do to set free the poor and the oppressed of the earth. I kind of understand that, but to be real honest with you, this was never meant to be about that. That's not what she's talking about. Mary said, I'm blessed. And it's not because I'm going to get a new chariot. It's going to get one of those new Mercedes chariots, and it's going to be really nice. Or it's not that uh, the Romans are going to be conquered, and I'm going to live in a democracy now, and I'm going to have freedom. Nobody's going to beat me or nobody I'm not going to have to live under this oppression any any longer no it, she knew it's not about any of those things she knew that's because her son would save her from her sin the liberation's not for the poor it's not for the it's it's for those who are poor spiritually those who fear God and trust in God and look to God for salvation They mention, you know, this scripture mentions that the rich, and I think it's in the area because there's sometimes a pride attached to that. There's a real temptation. The more you get, the more independent you feel, and the less likely you are to say, I, I need God. In fact, the, the more easy, it's just easy to get to this place where you think, really? I don't think I need God so much. I don't see myself as wretched or sinful anymore. The Bible says that's why they'll be brought down. The spirit of Christmas is a spirit of humility because spiritually we have this bent towards sin. We have this something nudging us towards separation from God. But here, what we see that the momentum of this story has picked up so that we're at this place where he says God is sending his son so that your fortune can be reversed. You who are sinful and you who are poor spiritually, we're going to reverse that. We're going to change that. The Bible has a word to describe that process. It's salvation. 
And that's a great theme of this whole book, and this whole, especially these opening chapters of Luke. You know, the angel tells Mary, you shall name him Jesus, Yeshua. That name means salvation. And God, you know, when Mary sings, God my Savior, she recognizes this is all about my salvation. Mary knew, I need to be saved. Mary was not sinless. I don't know what tradition, you know, you were brought up in or what you think about her. She was this beautiful, wonderful woman. But she needed her sin to be dealt with as well. Later, Zechariah will praise God for raising up the horn of salvation. That's what he calls him for us. See, that salvation is for us. And, and that's Christmas. And it only comes out of this, this humility of the heart. I have a friend, Dave Lincoln, who went recently to the Maasai tribe. And I think Will has been there uh, uh, in West Africa. They have this unusual way of saying thank you that I think is, is pretty cool. It, they bow forward and they put their foreheads on the ground. And they say, my head is in the dirt. Why do they do that? Because at its core, thanksgiving is an act of humility. And they're expressing a vulnerability and a humility before the person that they want to thank. Christmas season can bring these questions to the front. You know, I realize I'm sinful, so am I just going to hang in there with that and just be wounded by it constantly and just kind of lick my wounds and try to go forward and wallow in self-pity all the time and just think another Christmas and just kind of annoys you or irritates you a little bit or would you let go of that? Because I think that's where we are with Christmas. It's a hard time for many people. I know a lot of people who struggle through this season for a variety of reasons. No matter how hard it is, the message of Mary's song is that God has done something extraordinary to reverse your situation. He sent His Son into the world to be your Savior, to change everything. And if you let it, you will know joy and freedom that you've never experienced. I've mentioned before that I can remember my first Christmas walking with the Lord was so different. Honestly, I'll never forget the peace and just the, the beauty of the moments and, and, and finally realizing I've lived this much in my life and, and I get it. Now I get it. And, and I experience that every time. Spirit of humility. That's what initiates salvation. That's what brings momentum to this story. Both we, you know, we see it in Mary, we see it in Elizabeth, and it just pushes this, this event forward. Just, I can't wait till next Sunday to see what happens next. And it's humility in standing before the Lord and saying, God, I'm yours. That's what gives momentum to your life. That's what takes you forward in incredible ways that you would have never imagined without Jesus. You ready to take that step? Just let go of your pride. Let go of your stuff. Say, God, I want to be yours. Maybe you made that commitment at some point in your life. And you said, I did that, but then I started taking stuff back. You know, I said, God, everything's yours. All this is yours. Except for this. <laughs> Or after a while, you think, well, but I forgot about that. You know, and it just, it just let me keep a few little things hidden away. And I think today God's calling some of us out and say, you really want to enjoy Christmas? You really want to be blessed? You want to have that intimacy with the Lord and kind of experience what these women were talking about and their experience? Say, give me back all that. Just let go of that. Just let it be about me. Stop trying to make it about you. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. And just ask the Lord, what, what do we do next? How, how, do we, how do we go forward? Father, we've seen today from this scripture that um, the message of Christmas, the spirit of Christmas, if we can use that cliche one more time, is, is really all about humility. It's about us surrendering our life to you like Mary did. If she had not done that, if she had tried to hold on, she would have been just another girl who lived 
in her time and died in history and was forgotten. But she decided she's going to dedicate her life to the Savior. And she was going to step out of her life and all of the dreams and her expectations and she's just going to give that to you and trust you and walk forward step by step into this brand new experience. You blessed her. 2,000 years later, we still look at her with such respect and admiration and love and affection. And we call her blessed because of her courage as a teenage girl willing to go out into the unknown with you rather than stay in the safety of what was familiar in her life. Father, would you regenerate that in us? Father, would you give us grace today that we'd find the courage to say, no more. I'm going to humble myself before the Lord. And I'm give Him my sin, my past, all my quirks, my victories, my successes, the good things about my personality, the crazy stuff. I'm going to just bring it all to Jesus. And in humility, put it before you. You can do that today, right now. Father, we just want to give you, too, the things that hold us back. Our problems, our fears, the anxieties we face. Some of us, in fact, a lot of us, all of us in this room don't have perfect lives. And it causes us anxiety and hurt. And Lord, would you show us how today to give it to you? And just say yes to whatever you've got next. Thank you for today, Lord. Thank you for Christmas and for this beautiful rhythm uh, that you've placed in our lives where you break up the year and the seasons and draw us into these different moments to again come back to this place of Advent, this place of preparation. I pray that today it would be as new and as fresh in us as if it were the very first time that we ever realized you sent your son into the world as a baby to redeem us, to set us free. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much in Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you.